You guys um, that have been in the last two quarters, we're on our third quarter now, theology, there's going to be four, but why study theology? Why, why are we here? Not a trick question, and, and it's all good. Why? Why are we here? Millie, go ahead. We're here to learn more of what we are learning, to be sure of what we're learning, mm-hmm. to be in debt and what we're learning, that it would be the truth and nothing mm-hmm. but the truth, mm-hmm. to be clear in our mind as to what God's Word is. Amen. Okay, good. Anything accurately else? Accurately handle the Word of God. Accurately handle, good. Yep, yep, good. Chester. I was going to say to know truth from error and to remind ourselves that when we hear error we can correct it lovingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as brothers and sister or believers and lost person. Yeah. But to know who God is for yourself. Amen. Good. It, it just kind of builds off that a little bit more along the lines that there's a lot of false doctrine out there, there's mm-hmm. a lot of false teaching, and if you don't study theology, you yourself are not going to know what to review and what not to review. So yeah. it's important in your own walk just as much as it's important in the walk of others that are walking alongside you. Mm-hmm. If you yourself don't know what the Bible said or what is true about God, mm-hmm. then you're not going to know how to accurately respond, even in your own life. Amen. Yeah. Glenn, same thing? It should change though. Right, right. Yeah, all, all correct. Um, I would just add kind of the thread you just pulled, Glenn. You know, we talked about what is the Holy Spirit doing in us? Conforming us to the image of Christ, right? We're, we're not going to be conformed. That's not going to grow if we're not in God's Word. If we know that God's Word is, you know, His special revelation, then we need to dissect it. And we talked about last quarter, the Holy Spirit does what illumines our minds for us to understand. So it's important to be in the Word, to study the different theologies. And so you have the list there. Um, this is obviously Theology 3, but if you go back, if I remember the slide I have up there with the circles to put this all in context, you know, it really starts with what? Creation. General revelation. We, we read that in Romans 1 that all are aware of God because of His general revelation. But now, how, does, how do we understand this universe we're in? How do we understand the Godhead? How do we understand who we are in this universe? Right? Both at the time of creation and then after the fall. How do we understand the need for, us, for salvation? None of that comes from general revelation. That's why we've got to dig into the special revelation, which God has given us through His Word. All right. So we talked about general revelation. Now when we get to special revelation, what did we cover in Theology 1? Bibliology, the study of the Scriptures, why we need to study the Scriptures. The inspired, God-breathed Word of God. Right. And then we looked at God proper, theology proper, and looked at the Trinity. So... Christology, Christ, and then pneumatology, the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that sets the context of who God is. Now we need to understand who we are, man, in the context of that. And that's where we're going to start. The anthropology, the study of man. And you can see we're going to spend three lessons on that. And it's going to start with, at the very beginning, being created in God's image, which is really really important. And then we'll go to that distinction, um, the purpose, male and female, and then the value of man. And then we'll follow up with what happened after the fall, our sin nature, right? Who we are after that. But it starts with how God created us. And it's beautiful. It really is a beautiful picture. So any questions about that, the context of where we're at? All right. If you flip over to the start of our lesson, I think it's page 13. A lot of material here, but a lot of it is supplemental. So we'll kind of skim the, skim the treetops of some of that supplemental information depending on, on how far we get here. But um, really important lesson to understand just the, the origins of man. And I know a lot of this is probably, yeah, we, we know all this, but, but hopefully there's some truths that um, maybe you just weren't as aware of or, or a nice reminder of how God it all started, all right? So let me start with item one there. Man's creation in the image of God. Man was directly and immediately created by God in his image and likeness. Man did not evolve from the animals, but was created by a special act of God on the sixth day of creation as recorded in the book of Genesis. 
So we're going to unpack that statement, the idea that, that we were made immediately, right? We didn't evolve over millions of years. We were created immediately. And we do preach here a six-day creation. And we'll go over some of that material um, later in the, the lesson. But um, So let's dive into these verses here and, and unpack where we see some of this happening. And let me start with this, this question. You don't have to answer it yet, but I want you to be thinking about it. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We say that a lot. We're made in the image of God. But what does that really mean? That really is the intent of today's lesson. So I want you to think about that. I'm going to ask it again. Um, a little about halfway through the lesson, okay? So if I could have someone read the first verse in Genesis 1. Heather, can you read that for me? Um, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Good. There's there's a lot there in that passage. Let's um, not all related to the image of God, other than in the bowl that says you know made in the image of God. But unpack some of the truths that we see um, in that passage alone. For example, let us make man in our image. What does that signify? Trinity, right? You start to see the first glimpses. You'll never see the word Trinity, but you start to see the first glimpses of the Trinity right there at creation. What else? What what is he? God starts to set things in order, doesn't he? So, what are some of the what are some of the things he signifies there, Cream? Um, they're ruling over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, over all the earth, every creeping thing. Yep, so man is created, right, to rule over the other creation, right? So he's setting in, in place the, the roles and responsibilities, if you will, for man. What else? In the beginning, you were good and sinless like God. Mm-hmm. Yep, good. And we'll get to that later, too, Lauren. Good. All right. Yeah, so, so here's some of the roles and responsibilities. Be fruitful, fill the earth, subdue it. Again, rule over the fish. He made them male and female. We're going to have a whole lesson on that, but he made them very distinct. That happened before the fall. Very distinct, male and female. Okay, good. So lots to pack in there. The next verse, Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So again, this this is pointing to the fact that it was instantaneous, right? It did not evolve over time. What else does it point to about us as human beings, I'll call it? Okay, God's spirit. So you're starting to see a physical element and a spiritual element, right? Again, we're going to cover that in a little bit more detail, but you start to see that right up front. Physical and spirit. Again, he created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. Again, created. All right, Miss Tara, can you read the next one for me? Whoever sheds man's blood by man has blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. All right, this is really important. What's going on here? Anybody? What is what is this statement after? Absolutely, but what event just t- just took place? Big, big, big event. Say again. Are you talking about with Cain? No. No. Nope. Is it after the flood? It's after the flood. Yeah. Right. It's after the flood. Cream, is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Yeah. So this is after the flood, and this is where you now see the introduction of capital punishment that never existed before this, right? That was God's responsibility. And now he's saying, human beings, I'm giving you that responsibility. All right? That's the introduction of capital punishment. But why? What was the purpose? Because of preciousness of... That's right. Because we're made in God's image. 
so made yes he was giving man the ability to take another man's life because of the value the worth of what it means to be made in the image of God right so I want you to hold that thought we're going to come back to that that is significant that's it yep good all right let me jump down one to Job the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life again the spiritual element yet thou hast made him a little lower than God and dost crown him with glory and majesty who is the psalmist talking about here Jesus. nope it's actually man it's talking about man psalm 8 is a great psalm and it's pretty short so that's your homework is to go read that man is made just a little lower than god right that's another picture of being made in the image of god good all right let me jump down a couple thy hands made me and fashioned me give me understanding that i may learn thy commandments what do you see there what what characteristic of human do you see in that statement like cognitive, understanding. cognitive reasoning knowledge right part of being made in the image of God for in him we live and move and exist as even some of your own poets have said for we also are his offspring so in the context of creation right God created everything and in that context he put us that's where we live, that's where we move, that's where we exist. He controls all of that. And then let me jump down to the bottom there. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. What are we talking about there? The tongue. Think about that statement, again, in the context of the image of God. And, and I'll point the fingers at myself and other Christians. We use our tongue to miss misalign or to degrade other human beings made in the image of God. Did I share with you guys my Thanksgiving story? Let me share that. <laughs> it's not really too good, but it gets the point across. Um, two years ago, Thanksgiving, we, it was about a week prior, we were going to have um, some friends over for Thanksgiving and our dishwasher broke. Big, big, big first world problem, right? Dishwasher broke. So we run to Lowe's, we pick out a dishwasher, and I'm um, going to have them install it because it was free. What they do, though, is they get a third party to come and install it. And so they have to go to Lowe's, pick up the machine, they schedule a time, hey, we're going to be here between these hours, great. They got to go pick it up, and then they got to come to your house. And so um, we have the day, it's a couple days before Thanksgiving, and um, we got this block of time where they're going to come. I'm super excited. And I'm at work, but I'm in meetings where I can't have my cell phone. And it was for an extended time. So I come out, and we're still in the window. And I come out, and sure enough, I got a voicemail that says, Hey, Mr. Green, we picked up the machine. I came to your, your house. We live in a gated community. I got to the guard shack. They tried to call you. Nobody was there, and I had to return I had to return the machine, and, and I'm getting ready to go on vacation. And I'm like, what? So I call him back up, and, and I don't swear. I, I would never do that. But the tone of my message was not a friendly one, right? And I started to kind of, maybe the colonel came out of me and started to just get on this guy a little bit. Um, and he explained everything, and, and bottom line, I'm like, all right. And I hung up, and I was a little bit mad, but boy, I got convicted right away. And it was shortly after studying man being made in the image of God. And I'm like, this, this is a, a, a man who was made in the image of God. And I just, I didn't berate him, but again, my tone was not healthy at all, right? And I called him, within five minutes, I called him back. I, and it's funny, I, got, I said, hey, this is Mr. Green, we just talked, and you could tell he's like really defensive, like, uh-oh, here he comes again. And uh, I said, no, I said, you did everything right. I said, you did not, um, you did not deserve you know, the tone of my message, and I asked for your forgiveness. And we had a really good conversation, and I never got my washing machine, and guess what? We had Thanksgiving, and we washed the dishes by hand. It was okay. It all worked out. But my point is, is we can often think of like we just talked about capital punishment, right? We can even go to the other extreme, the unborn child, 
and those are all critically important. But what about our day-to-day lives, where we're interacting with people? What about our family? What about our spouses? Easy to become very um, complacent and comfortable. They're made in the image of God. Creed and I have the blessing of, of counseling together, and it's often couples, and that's usually where we start right, is you have both been made in the image of God and you need to respect each other in that light, right? It's powerful how we interact with one another. So if there's anything I want you to take away from the lesson today, it's that, is when we further define what does it mean to be made in the image of God, to be thinking about what that means in your day-to-day interaction with people, not only Christians, but unbelievers, Being made in the image of God is true of every human being you you come in contact with. Everyone. All right, but we still haven't really defined what it means to be made in the image of God, have we? All right, so let's keep going. Top of the page 14. Item two. Mankind was created free from sin originally, right? At, At the time of creation. Man had an original holiness and righteousness given to him by the Creator before the fall. I want to share from a a book, and and again, I'm saying this on the record. This is is from a book, right? Charles Ryrie. It's uh, someone else's view, but it might help with this description of, you know, I I get asked a lot, what, what was the condition of Adam before the fall? You know, was he righteous? And often we can talk about, like it says here, an original holiness or an original righteousness. But I thought this, this conversation in this book might be very helpful. I'm not here to, to preach or convince you on dispensationalism. That's not the intent here. But think of a dispensation as um, an order, an administration of how God is working with man at that particular time. And God sets the rules of that time frame and if that's broken, there are um, repercussions for that. And, and often that means you're moving into a different dispensation, right? Topic for another time, but I did want to cover this idea. And often this very first stage is called the dispensation of innocency. So innocent, right? Often you can think of Adam as being innocent at that point before the fall. But let me read. The first dispensation is usually called innocency. Although this term is not a good description of Adam's condition before the fall, it may be the best single word. Yet the word innocent seems too neutral. Adam was not created merely innocent, but with a positive holiness that enabled him to have face-to-face communication with God. You remember, right? Adam and Eve communicated with God in the garden. It talks about God walking. God is spirit, of course. But they had a relationship, a right relationship. So there was a sense of holiness because you cannot stand before a holy God not being right with God. All right, But it was a little bit different than what we understand after the fall. That's all I'm trying to point out. Nevertheless, his holiness was not the same as the creator's, of course, for it was limited by virtue of Adam's being a creature. Also, his holiness was unconfirmed until he could successfully pass the test placed before him. Therefore, it seems that Adam's moral condition before God in those days of innocency was that of unconfirmed creaturely holiness. So, just food for thought. Um, You know, that, that stage, if you will, was a little bit different than what we understand now. I like that idea of kind of an unproven holiness, right? The administration or the order that God set up at that time was... You know, you're going to start with no sin, but you're going to be able to make a choice, right? You're going to be tested in that sense, and we know what happens with that. So I just wanted to to point that out. Often we get questions about, um, you know, the condition of Adam before the fall. Does that make sense? Okay, let's move into some of these um, verses. Let me go down to the second one, Genesis 1.31. Lewis, can you read that one for me? Yeah, I can. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, good. Do you remember, anyone remember, um, at what point in the creation story did God say it was very good versus good? A little more specific? After woman. After woman. Of course, 
after the woman. <laughs> he says earlier, um, everything, it's good. And then after the woman is created, he's done, it is very good. Of course, of course. Next one, Psalm 8 again. Yet thou hast made him a little lower. All right, we, we touched on that verse. Um, let's go to Ecclesiastes 7. Corrine, can you read that for me? Sure. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Okay, so he created them upright. He created them free from sin. And yet after the fall, you know, seeking after many devices. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Again, you see this spiritual element, both a physical and a spiritual element. All right, have we further defined this idea of being made in the image of God? We haven't. All right, still out there. Let's go to the next element there. Number three. Here we go. Man was created with a rational nature, a self-volition, emotions, and moral responsibility. Therefore, God holds man responsible for his choices, actions, and attitudes. This really starts to get at what, it, what does it mean to be made in the image of God. We often talk about, when we say that, the mind, will, affections. right? So the ability to reason, self-volition, you have a will to make choices, you have emotions, and, you, and, and because of all of that, and because of God, you have a moral responsibility for those actions. And so he's able to hold you responsible. Right? So this really gets at the heart of being made in the image of God, specifically. He doesn't give that same attribute, if you will, to the animals, to any other creature, to the angels you don't see being made in the image of God. It's only us as human beings. Again, the preciousness of being made in the image of God. So let's look at a couple of those verses and see if we can peel out some of those attributes. Um, Chester, can you read Genesis 2 for me, please? Then the Lord God said, it is, not good, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man <clears throat> gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a there was not found a helper suitable for him. Good. All right, so when we give this description of being made in the image of God, where in that passage, and this is for anyone, do you see um, some of those characteristics start to play out? Naming of the creatures, right? Adam did that. God didn't bring the giraffes by and say, Adam, this is a giraffe. This is an elephant. So you can blame Adam for coming up with all these silly names, right? But but he used logic or reasoning to do that. Grace? Well, I was going to say, it's not listed here, but he used creativity to do that. Yeah. Humans are the only creatures that yeah. are able to create. We can only create based using the components that God gives us. But animals, even ones that, like, there are animals that can do artwork. There's elephants that can paint. All they can paint is what they see. They yeah. can't make stuff up. Great. Humans are unique enough. So. so, so Grace, that's a great point. Let's pause there. We often talk about mind, will, affections. But what other attributes do you see come out being made in the image of God? Grace just mentioned one. Creativity. Mm -hmm. And what a wonderful gift that is. I have seven children, as you guys know. They're all very, very different. They are so creative, it's unbelievable. They did not get that gene from me, I guarantee it. But it, it's a, it is a special gift, right? Um, and each of them have a, even a different sense of creativity. It's a beautiful gift that we have to be creative. But what other attributes do you see? Um, and think about some of God's attributes that are communicated to us, the communicable traits. Um, I was thinking where it says it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm. God's a trinity, and so God has fellowship with himself, and so we're created to have fellowship. And the need for fellowship, right? 
Well, and I know we already mentioned it earlier with the rationalization, which would technically can also be tied in with creativity, but the ability to be able to rationalize and solve problems mm -hmm. and create order from mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely God, you know, creating, you know, creation out of chaos, nothing. Right. And then just creating organization of, oh, these are the animals and these are the groups and this is what I'm going to call them is absolutely an attribute. Excellent. Good. What else? Very good. Is that the reason? I mean, what is the reason that it's in it? Is it because it's now it's complete man and woman? Why is it fit? Obviously, because woman's on the scene now. <laughs> I, Wanju, I, it's probably because it's complete now. You know, everything is in order um, as I uh, intended it to be. It is very good. Grace? No, I was just going to point out that even in that block, uh, God said it is not good for the, for man to be alone, mm. which is, like I think is the only place where he says something is not good. In yeah, passage. that's a great uh, point. So, yeah, so once that's resolved, now it's very good. Or it was only good. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's a great way to put that. And and I love the, the not, right? It reemphasizes our need of fellowship. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, right? You need fellowship with the saints, which is one of, one of the uh, reasons why becoming part of a church body is so important, right? You need that fellowship. We are made to fellowship. We are made to worship. We are made to worship a holy God. God says holy because I am holy, right? Will we ever achieve the holiness of God? Of course not. But we can bring on those attributes. So many of those attributes, uh, attribute of love, right? Those are all part of being made in the image of God. Chris, yes? Another aspect um, to this particular verse is um, I, I love how God brought all these creatures before him, before Adam, so that he could see when women came on the thing. It's like that is ah. what we need. And so he could see, he wouldn't be, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if, you know, he didn't have any wonder that he was alone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God provided. That's a great point, Glenn, right? He brought all before Adam to see what he doesn't have. And he even says it's not good for, for man to be alone. So, excellent. All right, let's jump to the next verse. Uh, Bob, could you read that one for me? Genesis 3 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. All right, good. So again, going back to some of the, the traits in item number three up above there, <clears throat> what, what do you see playing out? Um, some of those attributes made in the image of God. Right. Self-volition, so, right? Choices. Yeah. And also emotion. She desired the fruit. Emotion, reasoning, logic. Right? That's all in play here. And, and like pointed out, God made us, excuse me, <coughs> God made us to, to have a will, to be able to make a choice. Right? And, and this is the downfall that we see here. Good. Was there a comment over here? Just uh, yeah. appreciation of beauty. Mm. Because he says there's a delight to the eye. Mm -hmm. So there is good art and bad art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's not within the eye of the There are standards. Wow. So, Alan, that's a... fallen world. Yeah, Alan, that's a good point, though. I mean, it was still God's creation. It was beautiful. It was desirable, right? All right, let me read um, um, from Grudem. And again, for the record, this is from Grudem. I just want to share this viewpoint. I, I think he does a good job of describing some of these elements, so be patient with me here. The meaning of the image of God... Out of all the creatures God made, only one creature, man, is said to be made in the image of God. What does that mean? We may use the following definition. The fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. So that really gets at the heart, too. To be made in the image of, that word really means like God. And we talk about what some of those attributes are, but there's that second piece. We also represent God. I go back to how we interact with each other, right? We are always displaying God because we are image bearers. So the likeness and representation of God really gets at the heart of being made in the image. What we've talked about is some of those attributes, how it manifests itself. When God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, 
The meaning is that God plans to make a creature similar to himself. Both the Hebrew word for image and the Hebrew word for likeness refer to something that is similar but not identical to the thing it represents or is an image of. The word image can also be used of something that represents something else. So we are not God. We are like God. Right? That's what that means to be made in the image of. <clears throat> we will talk later when we get into um, the sin lesson. But what happened at the fall? God's image is distorted, but not destroyed. Everything we just talked about, our, our reasoning, our, um, our logic, our emotions, all of that gets distorted by the fall. Right? That's why there's a need of a Savior, but we don't lose that. We might wonder whether man could still be thought to be like God after he sinned. The question is answered quite early in Genesis where God gives Noah the authority to establish the death penalty for murder among human beings just after the flood. We just talked about that. God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made in his own image. Even though people are sinful, there is still enough likeness to God remaining in them that to murder another person, to shed blood, is an Old Testament expression for taking a human life, is to attack the part of creation that most resembles God. And it betrays an attempt or desire, if one were able to, to attack God himself. Man is still in God's image. The New Testament gives confirmation to this when James 3.9 says that men generally, not just believers, are made in the likeness of God. <clears throat> As believers, though, we, as I started this lesson, what? We are made more and more in the image of Christ, right? The redemption in Christ, a progressive recovering of more of God's image. So it was distorted after the fall. Once saved, now we're, we're gaining that image back, right? That's what sanctification is doing. Nonetheless, it is encouraging to turn to the New Testament and see that our redemption in Christ means that we can, even in this life, progressively grow into more and more likeness to God. For example, Paul says that as Christians, we have a new nature that is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then, of course, at Christ's return, that complete restoration of God's image. And what a glorious day that will be. Um, we've mentioned some of the aspects, but I'll go over them. You know, there's moral, spiritual, mental... Um, and relational, like we've talked about. We are made to be relational. And then the last um, portion I'll read here. Yeah, we must remember that even fallen, sinful man has the status of being in God's image. Every single human being, no matter how much of the image of God is marred by sin or illness or weakness or age or any other disability, still has the status of being in God's image and therefore must be treated with the dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. This has profound implications for our conduct towards others. It means that people of every race deserve equal dignity and rights. It means that elderly people, those seriously ill, the mentally retarded, the unborn children deserve full protection and honor as human beings. If we ever deny our unique status in creation as God's only image bearers, we will soon begin to deprecate the value of human life We'll tend to see humans as merely a higher form of animal and we'll begin to treat others as such. We will also lose much of our sense of meaning of life. Obviously, we see a lot of that in our world today, but we are different. We are image bearers. Okay? All right, any questions on that? So we, we talked a little bit in this idea of being made in the image. Um, let's talk about some more application. You know, do you guys have any examples? Before that, Wanju, do you have a comment or question? So at the time of fall, that the evil is introduced, where the evil was introduced. So Satan introduces evil initially, right? He's the first one to sin. He introduces sin. So evil already existed. Yes. Because of Satan, God did not create evil. He obviously did not create sin. It came from Satan, right? And his prideful nature. Again, the angels were given an opportunity to make a choice as well. So we share that in common, right? That we were given a choice and they, they made a bad choice. But then it's Satan now that is tempting Eve and she makes the choice that she makes. Okay? 
Other, uh, yes, Millie, also, sorry. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone in this room knows that Satan um, well, let me put it this way. The angels that were kicked out of heaven tried to go against Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that's why when Jesus Christ left this world, he said, the prince that's coming to this world has nothing to do with me. But you got to remember, too, that God gave us full warning of Satan because he is powerful, but not over Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, evil began in the, uh, when we be, God gave us sight when he came into the Garden of Eve. And that evil that he brought to Eve, he sort of like indulged in her. Mm -hmm sense of righteousness and mm -hmm. got her to bite that apple. But we got to also remember that the man, Adam, was in charge. God had already laid down the rules and regulations to him as to being the head. So he did not do his job when it came to Eve. So I'm just saying that let us not think that Satan is not powerful. Mm -hmm. That's why we have to indulge ourselves full force into God's word to put on that armor. That's it. Right? We are to stand firm against the enemy. Right? Put, yeah. Putting on the armor of God, being in the word, praying good. <clears throat> and I do love that account, right? When God confronts Adam, what does he do? That woman, that helper you gave me, her fault. <laughs> Obviously, sin all around. Sin all around. That's, very good, man. That's what I like about Second Timothy two fourteen is that it talks about that Adam was not the one that was deceived. It was woman who was deceived, but it was Adam who was he made that choice he knew better. Yeah. And he did it anyway. He did and, and those roles and responsibility was very clear. He was to be the leader of this relationship. That's established at creation for sure. Grace. Yeah, I was just gonna say because um, like this is later it when the law is actually given but you see it still laid out and still follow the same formula because i mean like we're told that men are like in the old testament it says uh men are held to whatever oaths they make it doesn't matter how stupid it is he's got to keep his word mm -hmm. women their husbands or their fathers can dismiss the oath and it's the same pattern that you see here where yeah. if, if adam had stopped eve then the, it wouldn't have been the same outcome because yeah. he would have he would have been able to negate that. Yeah. Uh, where. And and next week we'll get into male and female, and I'm sure some of that will will, will come out. So we'll have uh, more discussion on that lesson. Good. Yeah. Good. All right. Let's keep going here. So we've talked about the image, but this idea of the the moral responsibility, and you guys are picking at some of that, is really the the focus of a lot of the rest of these verses. So let me let's just go through a couple of these. I'll read the next one, Genesis three. To the woman he said, "I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband." and he shall rule over you. So let me pause there, right? Childbirth was not supposed to be painful. The command was what? To be fruitful and multiply. That was before the fall, and yet here's the consequence, all right? Pain and childbirth. But you see there too, and it's kind of what you guys have just been talking about. Your desire shall be for your husband. That's not in a good way. That's not in an attractive way. It means you want to rule. You want to be the leader, and yet he shall rule over you. So that distortion of God's order that he set up, the roles and responsibility has been distorted because of the fall. Let me keep going. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So yes, Adam and Eve, um, as image bearers, were distorted, but what else was distorted? 
Creation. Creation was distorted as well. We see here the thorns, the thistles, but we have earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes, right? Romans 8. Who do we see groaning? Creation. creation. There's actually three. Us, creation, and the Holy Spirit. But um, to this point, creation is also groaning, waiting for that return when things will be restored. All right? I love that beautiful picture. But everything that God created, there was a, a distortion because of it. And you see here, right? Adam and Eve are, are being held responsible for their actions. All right, let's go to the next one. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Again, being held responsible for your actions. I don't think it's listed in here, but what just came to mind is um, when we talk about the covenants that God made with, with Israel, right? We think about the Abrahamic covenant. Was that a conditional or unconditional covenant? Unconditional, right? They were going to... He was going to bless them with land, um, a seed, and blessing. And yet, an extension of that is what? The Palestinian covenant. Ultimately, at the very end, unconditional. God is going to make that happen. But as you see the history of Israel, it was conditional. If you go into the land and you do the things I tell you to do, you will be blessed. If you don't, there's going to be repercussions for that. And we see that throughout the Old Testament history, right? Just look at judges and the cycle that that brings us through. The, the constant battles that they have. Look at today, right? So there was a conditional aspect to part of the Palestinian covenant. At the end, like I said, when, when Christ returned, that will be an unconditional um, event. Yes? Um, I just want to make a comment because I see that it... Um it says, by sweat, actually, uh, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. So mm -hmm. this is like God enforcing that because of your disobedience, because of your sin, death is the Death result. comes on the scene. Absolutely. Great point, Heather. Death wasn't there before the fall, right? Now it's part of the equation. All right, let me cover, let me cover one more. I'm on page 15, the second one from the bottom, Acts 17. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. For those who were in class um, theology too, and specifically, I think it was the last lesson, what, what did we learn about the Spirit? What is the Spirit doing to the world? Convicting. Convicting. Right of sin, that indictment, laying out all the evidence and indicting. What about as far as righteousness? He's convicting them that the world's righteousness is hypocrisy. There's only one righteousness, one standard. And you will be judged against that standard. Right? The world's judgment is not reality. It's not, um, it's not the judgment that we're going to see from Christ. All right? So that's what the Spirit is doing, that convicting action to all men. And they will be held accountable because of that. Right? It goes back to being made in the image of God. Alright, top of the next page. <clears throat> For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, and everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the manner. So we talked about this passage last week, right? In the context of the Spirit convicting, what we need to be led to is a sorrow that leads to repentance. Not a worldly sorrow, a guiltiness, if you will, that simply leads to death. That's the only path that that's going on is death. It needs to be a sorrow of repentance. And that only happens through the Holy Spirit regenerating, transforming our heart. Because we can't seek after God. We can't create that kind of sorrow. It only comes through an act of God, through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Alright, any questions on that? We'll keep moving. Item number four. 
All right, here's where we talk about this idea of a two-part being. Man is a two-part being, having both a material body and an immaterial part, a soul or spirit. The spirit, soul, heart, mind, and conscience of man are not separate parts of man, but are different aspects of the one immaterial part of man. Let me again go back to Grudem. I want to be fair with um, other views that are out there. So we here at Hope Bible Church, if you go and look at um, you know, what we teach, we prescribe a dichotomy, two parts, a material, your physical, and an immaterial. There are also views of a trichotomy. So they would believe in a physical, a soul, but also a spirit. Right? They would, they would break those into three parts. And let me read. Um... According to trichotomists, they argue that man's spirit is a higher faculty that comes alive when a person becomes a Christian. The spirit of a person, then, would be the part that most directly worship and praise to God. I don't have the time to go into that. I just wanted to share that there is that other view out there. And if you caught that, what they're saying is, yes, we believe in body and soul, but when you become a Christian, you get this third element so that you can directly talk to God. Right? All I would tell you is if you go through the rest of Scripture, that's a really hard doctrine to, to uh, justify. All right? um, we can have a discussion offline, and I can show you some resources. But sometimes it can be very confusing, and, and we'll go through some of these passages where all these words are used interchangeably, but if you do the in-depth study, you'll see that they're really synonymous. All right? and, and we need to think of just having two parts. Because that's important when you start looking at the doctrine of what happens at our death before the rapture, right? What happens? Our soul, the spirit, the immaterial part never vanishes. As believers, that's, you're going to go up and be with the Lord, all right? If you're a non-believer, we believe that that's going to exist eternally, but you're going to be in hell, right? We came from a church that believed in annihilation of the soul, that at some point the soul... Uh, doesn't exist anymore. It's not internal punishment. Yeah, just false, right? So that's what we prescribe as those two, and and I think most closely aligns with what you'll read in Scripture. But let's go through some of those verses. We talked about this, uh, Genesis 2, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Let's go to the bold. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I believe this was right after Jesus did one of his miracles, right? Healed somebody. Wasn't that a constant theme in the New Testament? Is the, the physical manifestation was Jesus healing someone, the cripple, the lame, the blind, the leper, right? And yet what he was saying, well, what's more important is your soul, your spirit, and what's going to happen to that? Right, so you see that play out here. Be fearful of, of him who can destroy both soul and body. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right, sin affects what? Just the body? Just the spirit? Both? Both. Right? It's, it's complete. We, it's not like we walk around with separate entities. We, we are unified in our body and spirit. Right? And sin affects all of that. We're, we're going to touch on a verse here in a second um, that will highlight that. All right, let me go down here. Again, the spiritual aspect, Acts 7. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, that beautiful picture of him being stoned. I can't even imagine the pain of what that is. Right? And yet he looks up. And, and sees the heavens open, right? And here his spirit is about to be with the Lord. All right, let's, uh, let's keep going there. Um, I did want to mention, it's not listed here, but again, Romans 8, probably one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, but 8.16, we talked about this. The Holy Spirit testifying with our spirit. So there's this communication, if you will, as believers, of the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirit, what? That we are children of God. Right? That communication. And that's beautiful. So what we've covered here, right? Man is created immediately. No evolution. 
over millions, thousands of years, right? In the image of God. We were originally created free from sin, so that was that innocent state, if you will, an unproven or original holiness or righteousness. And then in His image, as we've talked about, I like to just briefly sum it up, mind, will, affections is a good way to say that. But we've talked about some of those other attributes, right? The creativeness, the relationships, um, some of those communicable attributes that we see from God. And lastly, we are made with a body and a soul, right? Two parts. All right, the rest of this is um, some supplemental notes. And I, again, I just want to highlight some of this. You can go back and read it in more detail. The, the first one on page 17 gets after um, this idea of creation. And if you really want some answers questioned on creation, go see Pastor Rob Thompson. All right, he just loves this stuff. He, he does an in-depth study on Genesis and can give you just some wonderful wonderful truths um, supplement, I guess, to to Scripture that reinforce. But um, just he loves it, loves it, loves it. But let me read there. God created everything out of nothing. So when you, you hear that term, ex nihilo, that's what that means, out of nothing. Something didn't cause God to exist. He just existed from eternity past. It didn't happen by chance. There was a definite beginning. Um... I don't think I'll hit those verses. You guys are very familiar with that. I'll just go down to item B. God's creative work was accomplished in six stages on six successive days. And I do think this is interesting. The six uh, days of creation were literal 24-hour periods. And if you go down at the very bottom of your page, that word there, day, yom, which can refer to an epoch um, or an era, but it virtually always used in the Old Testament to refer to a literal 24-hour day. We know from the context which meaning of the word is intended. So again, good hermeneutics, you always got to understand in the context. But um, what it's saying is you will often, almost always see that word yom in the context of a 24-hour day. If you go back on page 17, the bottom there, um, the text, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Do you see that? He established the cycle of a day. One period of light and then one period of darkness, that's a day. That was establishing the order of a 24-hour day. And that's the word day that you see, yom. But he goes on, that was day one. God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. And it goes on and on all the way to there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So very specific language identifying, you know, a day in a six-day creation. Yes? So when did uh, the 24-hour a day um, establish? The, the idea of 24 hours, yeah, Wanju, I don't know the answer to that. Rob probably does. Um, <laughs> but you don't see that established here, right? You see... The, the cycle of day and night um, would have been the same period, but dissecting it into maybe the Romans? I, I don't know. I don't know when that was for, uh, first established. It's a good question. Scientifically, yeah. it makes sense. That's why yeah. Yeah. we yeah. say that 24 hours. Sorry. I was just, yeah. just going to say... Um, there is a Christian astrophysicist, uh, Dr. Jason Lyle. He does a lot of research on this. He looks into like the science of it, the math. He de debunks a bunch of like false ideas about it. Uh, but he's Jason Lyle. He's really, really good. Good. Thank you, Grace. Um, go down to item E on the on page 18. There, God spoke. God spoke things into existence. They didn't evolve over many years. The question is not, how could all this be created in a mere six days, but rather, why did God take so long? Right? He could have just, bam, done. But what you see is, is a beautiful um, story play out over those six days. Right? He, he establishes order. He puts things in order. The seasons, the days as we understand them, the role of male and female, the fact that it was not good for man to be alone. Right? He could have just, bam, it all happened. But now you see so many aspects of God play out over, over the, um, the writing of those six days. Right? The capture of what happened in those six days. And then ultimately, what? Today's seven, a day of rest, which is very important in the part of a, 
of a believer. And I'm not talking about um, legalistically following the Sabbath day. It's rest in Jesus Christ. Right? For our benefit and His glory. Alright, let's go over to page 19. Um, we see that Jesus also treated the Genesis accounts as literal history. And I'll just read the first one there, Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing Him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And He answered and said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh, And then the bold at the bottom there. For the beginning it has not been this way. I, I love when you see in the New Testament Jesus referring back to Old Testament Scripture, right? He's confirming what was written, and specifically here, the order that happened before the fall. It wasn't this way all the, all the time, guys. This is not the way that God created it. He created them male and female, and when they come together, they are one. This beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to look like, right? Um, let's see, at the bottom there, implications of other clear doctrines. Death, both physical and spiritual, is a consequence of sin. We brought that up earlier, right? So there couldn't have been eons of time in which death reigned, which is an incorrect interpretation of the fossil record, before sin, which was after man came. And man couldn't have evolved over millions of years. The gospel, the reason Christ came and what he accomplished, is founded on a literal interpretation of God, what God revealed in Genesis 1-3, as we've been studying all morning. All right, let's see... We got a little bit of time here. Let's jump over. Let's jump over to page 21. There's a lot of material here. I won't go through um, all of it, but if you have questions about this idea of soul and spirit, you see the word there uh, for soul it takes on a wide range of meanings. Um, at least eight in the New Testament and 49. So a lot. So that's why context is really important. Uh, the idea behind it is who one is, a person, life, being, creature, something one has, right? You talk about a person's soul. Um, going down, spirit generally means spirit, breath, or wind, the phrase, the breath of life. All right, so let's go over to the tables that you see on page 22. And what you see is a contrast, and I, obviously we're not going to go through all of this, <clears throat> this contrast between where Scripture uses um, the terminology soul versus spirit. And you see they're, they're very synonymous. So I'll just uh, do the first one there. For this reason I say to you, do not, worry, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So you see life and body there. And then go over to the, the other table there on the right-hand side, and her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. So again, you, you see this contrast and very synonymous in how that's being used. Um, if you go over to the second page on 23, again, lots of examples there. I'm picking on the right-hand, second one down. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So you see soul and spirit, um, often you'll see these terms being used in the same sentence. Again, very synonymous. Um, let's go down at the bottom of that page. We talked about this, what happens when you die. The soul departs when a man dies. It came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Ani, but his father called him Benjamin. Um, on the other side of the page, in your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. So again, you see the synonymous nature of those terms. All right, so let's cover, we got a little bit of time. I, um, we have uh, Hebrews 4.12 and also 1 Thessalonians, but let's cover Hebrews 4 because this is a very familiar passage. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it really looks like things are being divided here. But as you go through the context of this passage, and I'm not going to read um, all of this, just go to the meaning on page, top of page 25. The Word of God 
penetrates to the core of our being. It exposes everything in the light of its truth and the sharpness of its judgment and conviction. There is nothing exempt from its scrutiny and application. It rules our total inner self, not just our outward actions. It is the all-sufficient truth for our entire being. It does not apply solely to our spiritual life or solely to our observable behavior. So does that make sense? Again, we talked about um, a material body part and an immaterial, our soul or spirit, right? And what this verse is getting at is that the Word is living and active and it pierces our entire being, right? Our soul and what we're thinking, how we reason, all of that that's been distorted, and yet we see it manifest itself in what? Our members. That's the behavior that you see. That's what the Word of God is, is pierces all of that. That's what we are to put off, that old nature, to renew our mind, right, and put on the new nature. 1 Thessalonians 5, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's easy to take a verse like that, and you see three different elements, right? Spirit, soul, body. But again, you have to take the context of all that's written in Scripture. Go down to the meaning. <clears throat> God will sanctify, sanctify our entire being. Soul and spirit are both used for emphasis, like the list of um, several passages there. Since the words are used synonymously for emphasis, there's no difference in meaning. So often when you see all those words together in a, in a, a passage, it's for emphasis, Right? The conclusion, the Bible makes no distinction between the soul and spirit. Both refer to the immortal, immaterial part of man. Okay? All right, so we have a couple minutes for questions. So let's go to, on page 26, the interpretation there. Just as a summary. What does it mean to be created in God's image? In what respects do we reflect God's image that the animals cannot? So let's focus on the second part of that. Are there similarities between... Um, human beings and your pet dog. What are those? Emotions. Emotions, to some degree. Affections, to some degree. Are they reasoning beings? My dog never was. <laughs> there are similarities, but, but very, very distinct. You know, you talked about creativity earlier, right? We, we don't see that really to the degree that we have. Um, yes, please. Procreation. Similarity, yes. Yes. Yeah. Do they have a relation? Oh, Millie. And dogs do not have a soul. Right. Right? They don't have a relationship with God. Yeah, Um... It's hard. Is that you know? It's hard to say, Wanju. Is that more of a, uh, a guilt, right? You know, my dog when he did something wrong or she did something wrong, she knew it. But was that a guilt versus we have the capacity for repentance that leads to life, right? Um, a heartfelt sorrow, if you will. So again, just reemphasizing the point that we are distinct from all of creation when we are made in the image of God. All right, so question number two then. How can man be accountable before God for his actions if God is sovereignly in control of all things? We still have a choice. We have a choice, but God's sovereign. Something we'll never really understand. That's <laughs> Good. I don't, was it, yes, Connor? Um, just a question. No, I asked a question. You can't ask a question. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, when it says God is sovereign, does God sovereignly in Whole things. Does that mean like every single movement of molecules, molecules, or is that more along the lines of refer to salvation and election? It's a great question. What do you think? I'm not sure what. <laughs> um, I personally want to say, if I advance that, I would say not in control of like every single action, like picking yourself. Okay. I don't know what the question is referring to. Yeah. Any thoughts, Glenn? Well, I tend to believe that God is in control of all things, even down to the tiny level. But that's, you know, that's a, anyway, what I was trying to think of was, um, uh, I lost my minute <laughs> <laughs> We'll come back to you. To be well, I guess. <laughs> Grace. A couple of people over here. 
Oh, sorry, I, I, my periphery, it's bad, so, no, Millie. Oh, I was uh, getting ready to say that God is in control of every limb, our seeing, our hearing, our legs, our inside. Hairs on our, our head. Hair on our heads, you know, the strings on them, I can't even count them. But what I wanted to say is that um, God deals with the heart. Mm. He is, and he tells us this in scripture, he deals with the heart. Your heart is emotional. You, it, 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 you can do something to someone like uh, you said, you called the guy and mm -hmm. you had another tone and he convicted you that that was wrong. Well, the heart does the same thing. It convicted. It convicts us what we do wrong, and it brings us back to repentance. Mm -hmm. Through the Holy and, Spirit, right? Yes, yeah. to the Holy Spirit. And God knew that. In Psalm 51, that when we sin, we sin only against Jesus Christ. Even when I do something to you, by you being a product of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. his creation, mm -hmm. I also done it into him. Yeah. When Judgment Day comes, God's going to look at the heart, nothing else, not your PhD, <laughs> not how much you learn uh, 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 in school or anything like that. He's going to deal with the heart. Yeah, good. Thanks, Millie. All right, Heather, and then we got to wrap things up. Yeah, I was just, um, when that question was asked about if God is in control of every little thing, it made me think of Acts when Peter's giving his sermon. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so that just reminds me that he is in control of everything, because if he wasn't, then how could he ensure that Christ would pay the penalty for our sins and redeem us? <clears throat> Yeah, so let me close. Yep, you're spot on, Heather. Yeah. Real fast. It's real fast. So, Job um, 38, 39, and the rest of the chapter actually deals specifically with God's control over yeah. micro transactions yeah. of the world. So, if he's interested in that. Yep. That so, thank you, Lawrence. So, let me do this. Absolutely, God is in control of everything. And I think we talked about in this class this idea of, I'll call it divine concurrence. And Pastor Gabe has a really good sermon on this, right? Where God in his sovereignty, his plans will absolutely play out. And yet, he does that in this wonderful combination of man who has willful choices. And there'll be consequences of that. How does all that happen? I don't know. It's a bit of a mystery, but it's beautiful. Right? So don't ever think that, that God isn't in complete control of every molecule. Right? We're not robots, though. He's not forcing me to drop this pen. But in his concurrence, we'll understand and play that out such that his purposes will always come about. That is beautiful. Right? Divine concurrence. So that's how I would answer that. But, all right, let me close so people got to go, they can go. And then if we want to talk afterwards, we can do that. Okay? Good discussion today.